Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Add its blessings to the word. One thing that has become more and more apparent with each passing day is that there really are two types of people in the world. There really is a deep division. And the two groups of people have a very hard time seeing eye to eye. I don't mean red and blue and rural and urban and Democrat and Republican. I mean there are Christmas people and there are Advent people. There are those who think that we should proclaim loud and clear Christmas cheer all the year. And especially this year in COVID, what would be better than for us to start Christmas even earlier? There's the people who think that Christmas is, should be celebrated every day, all the time, and they can't wait to get there. And then there are the really decent people who think that Christmas should only be properly celebrated after a proper advent. Christmas people say really mean things like, I need your Christmas list so that I can shop early in the middle of August when you don't want to even be thinking about lists or shopping. Christmas people waste a perfectly cozy summer day pining for when they can put on their snugglies, have hot cider by the fire, listen to Christmas carols. Oh, won't that be great, they say, in the middle of July. Now, Advent people are not against Christmas. They want to deck the halls with the best of them, and they would argue that Christmas is really meant to be a 12-day feast that begins on Christmas and ends on Epiphany, that you would enjoy even more if you were not overstuffed from eating from Christmas parties and Christmas cookies that began weeks and weeks and weeks before Christmas, and that you would not be sick of Christmas carols if you hadn't started them at Halloween. Advent people just believe that the very best way to celebrate the birth of the king is to wait until the birth of the king. And that especially goes for Christmas carols. Advent people don't, yea, Lord, we greet thee until he is born this happy morning. And they don't silent night, holy night, until Christ the Savior is born. And even though it is the most popular Christmas carol in the world, they don't joy to the world until the Lord is come. My wife and daughter are Christmas people. It's everything I can do not to throw a liturgical offside flag every year. When I was a pastor one year, I decided that we would do a proper Advent. We would not sing a Christmas carol, kind of like we don't say hallelujahs in Lent. We wouldn't sing Christmas carols until, oh, the fourth week of Advent. Yes, we were compromising. Yes, it wasn't the letter of the law. It was still during Advent, but we would hold off. We decorated the sanctuary in purple, not red and green and gold and such. We didn't have any Christmas trees lit up, ready to go. We were celebrating Advent. We were entering into a blessed Advent so we could have the most joyful Christmas ever. People hated it. We only did that one year because Christmas people are everywhere. Now, you might have guessed by now that I am firmly an Advent person. The liturgical calendar is here for a reason, and we should really abide by it. Which is why the really liturgically aware, I'm looking at you, John Thompson, are calling the irony police right now. Because we are today celebrating Christ the King Sunday, the last big liturgical holiday of the year, a week early. 
Now, I for one am glad we are, especially this year. We need a Sunday set aside, perhaps this year more than ever, to linger in gratitude and thanksgiving. We need to focus on the things that we are grateful for when there has been so much loss. We need to be aware and almost feel the melancholiness of Thanksgiving tables that will not be as packed as we might want them as we go through another, this remarkable 2020. If there was ever a year to focus our attention on gratitude and Thanksgiving, it would be this one. So it's good to me. But I'm also glad to jump offside for Christ the King Sunday, because if there ever was a liturgical holiday that was meant to spread liturgical cheer all the year, it was Christ the King Sunday. Christ the King Sunday is the Sunday we should be celebrating every Sunday. And Christ the King Sunday is the, is the day that should make every day into a holy day. Christ the King Sunday is ordinarily the last Sunday of the liturgical year. It's the Sunday before we start Advent, which, if you didn't know, in the liturgical calendar is the beginning of the new year. The first Sunday of Advent is, liturgically speaking, a Happy New Year event, and really should be when the Rose Bowl Parade is held, but I digress. Christ the King Sunday is really the one liturgical holiday that wraps up the whole year. It's the culmination of our discipleship, that that which began in Advent, as we were waiting in anticipation of the birth of the King, as we were looking dual-visioned, one toward the birth of the Messiah and one toward the return of the Messiah, when we began to prepare ourselves for the new year and start the new year in a time of anticipation and preparation, all the way through, until we come to the culmination, where we, where we celebrate the coronation and the coming reality of a time that will be here when Christ indeed is Lord of all. Christ is the king of all creation. In the words of Abraham Kuyper, that most of us know because our friend Rich Mao made them so well known, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is the sovereign of all, over all, does not cry, mine. Christ is the king of creation, Lord of all. It's the core belief of Christianity. Peace comes to the world through the proclamation that Jesus is Lord of all. We hear in Acts chapter 10, verse 36. Salvation comes from confessing with our lips that Jesus is Lord. We, we see in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. In a Roman world where the Pledge of Allegiance was Caesar is Lord, Christians instead said that the true sign of the Holy Spirit was the courage to confess in the face of Caesar and on the pains of persecution that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is Lord, of all, Lord alone. In Philippians, we hear the echoes of another misplaced Christmas carol, Handel's Messiah, where the soaring notes of the Easter section, which is what we always sing when we sing the, the Messiah's chorus, the Handel's Messiah, proclaim that a day will come when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. And every knee should bend and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
And that confession, and to live out that conviction, is not only the sum total of the whole of the Christian life, it is the very center of the Lord's Prayer and our passage this morning. Pray then in this way, Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Christ the King Sunday is where we confess that being the answer to this prayer is the entire purpose of our lives. That being the communal answer to this prayer is the very mission of every church everywhere. That proclaiming and demonstrating the good news that Christ is the true and good and sovereign and loving and just king of every square inch of creation, including every cell in our very beings, is the reason we exist. And that is something that absolutely deserves more than one day to declare and more than one day to celebrate. On Christ the King Sunday, we wrap up the whole year. The year that started with Advent preparation where we long and wait and prepare for the coming of the King, that celebrates the realized hope in the birth of the King, who is God in human flesh, living and dwelling amongst us, a King that has come near to us. And all the way through, as we follow in the footsteps of this King Jesus, in life, in suffering, and in death, in glorious resurrection, where the enemies of God's kingdom are vanquished, in the ascension when Jesus takes the throne, in the celebration of the Spirit, where the power of the King is given to all who believe, in the ordinary seasons of walking with Jesus' disciples, and finally, in the solemn feast that celebrates the King is Lord of all on this particular feast day. But this year we jump off sides liturgically. We jump the gun, we get ahead of ourselves. But I think there's actually something in this that we need, especially this year. Because in a year where we are more profoundly aware of the brokenness of our world, of the incompleteness of our world, of the place where our world is so filled with so many stories, of people in need of healing, of people in need of justice, of people in need of their daily bread, in a year where we have become profoundly aware of our pain and our need and our brokenness, and of the need, yes, for good and righteous rulers, leaders who we look to with respect, of a king that will make the world right. In this particular year, we need to learn to live more deeply than ever as a community that anticipates the final consummation of the kingdom that lives in the hope of the, of the phrase, Jesus is Lord. Believing in the coming of the kingdom is acknowledging that a day is coming where Jesus will make things right. That while we live in a day that feels so incomplete, that it's in the middle of that incompleteness that we declare our faith and our hope. And we declare again our commitment to live differently because we live in anticipation of what we believe will surely happen. That God is the just judge who will bring a reckoning. That we who believe in Jesus commit ourselves therefore to lives of repentance because we know that a day will come when our lives will be judged and that we will have to look our Lord in the eye and be held accountable for the way we live the gift of this life, anticipating and preparing the 
every heart prepare him room as the hymn goes. And like Advent, that is meant to be a time of preparation, we are giving ourselves this week particularly to an additional week of anticipating, preparing, repenting, and yes, rejoicing that the King has come. And we are reminded this week that every week we live as people who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God, that he is the king of all creation, and that though we live in a moment of incompleteness, it is by faith that we proclaim and demonstrate our allegiance to that king. We live in the now, but the not yet. We also live understanding that anticipating and trusting, and believing, and hoping can inspire us to faithfulness, especially in times when it feels so daunting, when we might be on the edge of despair. On August 28, 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. stood before the Lincoln Memorial and gave a speech to 250,000 people, many of whom had come from the front lines of the civil rights movement, many of whom had come from having spent time in prisons and jails, had been beaten and had been afflicted, many of whom had long in their legacy and in their lives and in their histories the experience of the burden of oppression, of segregation, of Jim Crow laws, and of, and of the lack of a fulfillment of a promise of a country that was founded on the belief that all people are created equal. Dr. King had spent the whole night with his friend Clarence B. Jones preparing a speech that he would give that morning. It was supposed to be five minutes long. He didn't want it to be something that could ever be accused of being somehow um, inciting the crowds unduly. So he created a sober speech that was meant to demonstrate clearly that the United States of America had not kept its promise to its African-American citizens, that had given a promissory note in the Emancipation Proclamation, that it had been like a check that had been given that he said had been returned with insufficient funds. And as he laid out his case in front of the throngs of people, like a good preacher, he could recognize that his lines were not completely hitting that it wasn't quite hitting the moment of soaring inspiration that he would want. He paused for just a moment. And in the background, you could hear the words of Mahala Jackson, his friend, the gospel singer who had traveled with him, who yelled to him, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. And he slid his notes to the side of the rostrum. And he heard. And Clarence B. Jones turned to the person next to him and said, these people don't know it, but they're about to go to church. And he used the word soaring out of Isaiah 40, of what the world will be like when Jesus finally returns, when God is the true king, when justice rolls down, when the mountains will be brought low, when the rough places will be made a plain, when there will be a river that runs through it. And with this vision of Isaiah 40 and of the world made right, he says, to his people with this faith. I go back to the South. With this faith, we get back to work, he says. With this faith, we go back into the struggle. With this faith of, a, of anticipating a day when justice will be finally made right and the world will be made right, we go back to the South. With this faith, we'll be able to hew 
out of a mountain of despair, stones of hope. With this faith, we'll be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony for our world. With faith that someday the world will be made right, when Jesus, the true King, is crowned justice, is all good for all with his faith. We'll be able to hew out of a mountain of despair stones of hope. I spent the last five years in the middle of that verb, hew. I wrote a book on that verb, hew. What does it take to become the kind of person who can hew hope from despair? That doesn't shrink in the midst of the mountain of despair that doesn't try to blow it up or sledgehammer through it or destroy everything in its wake, but instead can chisel out stones of hope and build something beautiful. Like in 1 Peter, how it talks about the living stone, Jesus, and all of us as living stones become a dwelling place for God. Anticipating the coming of the King gives us hope calls us back to faithfulness. Christ the King Sunday reminds us that we live in anticipation. And living in anticipation should call us to faithfulness. Living in anticipation should call us back into the work of the gospel to proclaim and demonstrate that Jesus Christ is Lord and that we are to be a living embodiment of what that worship looks like. Christ the King Sunday teaches us to learn to live as a community of anticipation, a community that anticipates the final consummation of the kingdom in Jesus Christ, and that that anticipation transforms us here and now. You may have heard me tell the story, but back in the days when I was a pastor in San Clemente, I used to often talk about what it would be like for us to become a community of people who would so live out our faith in the way we live together that we would be a demonstration of being the answer to the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. And this little place, in this little community, in this little location, in this town that we love, what would it be like for us to be a living proclamation, a living demonstration of the reality of the kingdom, of the longing that so many people have for heaven? On occasion, I would say to my people, I would say, look, if you ever find yourself in a position, my dream for us as a church is to become the kind of church that if anybody ever found out that you were a Christian and decided to ask you a question, and they decided to ask you, what do you think heaven's like? Right? What do you think it will be like when we're finally with Jesus, when we're finally with God, when the world is a is all the way it is supposed to be. What do you think heaven is like? My whole dream for you as a Christian is that you'd be able to look them in the eye without any cynicism, without rolling your eyes, without tongue in cheek. You'd be able to look at them and say, come and see. Come and see. Come join with me and my friends. Come see our worship services. Come see the way we love each other. Come see the way we care. Come see the way that we weep over the brokenness of the world. Come see the way that we get up and are activated to make a difference. Come and see. 
We are imperfect. It will not be a perfect representation, but it will be a glimpse in the not yet of what will someday be the now. We learn to live as a community that anticipates the final consummation of the kingdom. And that commitment is not only worthy of every week and every day, but is even worthy of picking up the offside play, even when we liturgically jump the gun. So let me end this with an announcement that is meant to bring unity in a world that is divided between Christmas people and Advent people. Let me give you some truly good news. Joy to the world was never meant to be a Christmas carol. Joy to the world was written to be a sung exaltation to Psalm 98. We decided to turn it into a Christmas carol. So when we sing joy to the world with all of our hearts, we can sing it all year long because it's a song about the anticipation of the joy that we will sing and the preparation that is necessary when we proclaim that the Lord is come, is coming. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous songs and sing praises, Psalm 96. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him. Let heaven and nature sing. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.